Okay. This is uh, Jim Fetzer, your host on The Real Deal, with my very special guest today, Catherine Hine, who's become an expert on the Murphy Bill that's making its way rapidly through Congress that seeks to impose new mental health criteria on the nation. Catherine, welcome to The Real Deal. Thanks for having me, Jim. I really appreciate it. Um, I don't know how much of an expert uh, more than others are that I would be, but um, I, I'm familiar with how Murphy Bill kind of policies work um, in the state courts where they're going to be implemented at least indirectly. It's a federal uh, bit of legislation, but it, it's going to dictate policy that used to be state policy. Um, it, it's... Um, it's a, a series of bills. This is not the first time that we've heard from Murphy. And, and there are other more draconian versions of this bill than the one that is going to be sent to the Senate, um, or was sent to the Senate, I should say, um, earlier this month on July 14th. It went through the House with a totally lopsided vote, something like 422 to 2. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's insane. Um, they're obviously not listening to their constituents because, well, maybe they are. Uh, there, there are plenty of people out there who have been um, brainwashed by the corporate media into believing that, you know, that, that we're all becoming mentally ill. We all need to have to be on drugs and, and the really mentally ill people. That, which they're calling the SMIs, the seriously mentally ill in the Murphy bill. The SMIs are just coming out of the woodwork and they've all got guns and they're all going to come out and shoot us. So we need to have this Murphy legislation. Well, tell us the basics of the bill, Catherine. What would it do? Uh, well, it's going to um, federalize mental health. So it's going to federalize the way that grants are given to the states. And um, the, um, the key to it is actually the name of the bill itself, which is Helping Families in Crisis, um, in Mental Health Crisis, something like that. The key is this is not for the patient. This is for the families. Okay? So, so let's, let's take that into account. I'm not answering your question, but I'll get well, to it. Well, you're telling me that's part of the PSYOP involved here, in other words, designing it to look as though it's actually benefiting a certain segment of the population when its real intent is considerably otherwise, very much as the Patriot Act really wasn't to support patriotism, but to create a massive police state within the United States in the form of the Department of Homeland Security. Right, right. Um, well, it, it's known, and the statistics are out there, that most people who come into a, a, a state psychiatric system are severely traumatized. About 80% is the figure I, I see consistently. And what are they traumatized from, usually? Usually from abuse from family members. So what's the Murphy Bill going to do? The Murphy Bill says it's for the families. It's not for the patient. At least it's honest in that regard. It's for the families. And the families, um, for the, in many cases, are the source of the problem. But we're going to open up the um, HIPAA regulations, and, and this will also affect state law 
um, so that the family will have access to the, the patient's um, psychiatric records. So everything yep. that the patient tells the psychiatrist, the family is going to be looking at and, and yep. discussing with the psychiatrist. If that family member is an incest perpetrator, for example, and that's why their family member is in treatment, won't won't that won't that be uh, counterproductive to uh, to have have that um, incest perpetrator then having access to those records? That's what's going to happen. I'll tell you right now, Catherine. Catherine, on the sixteenth of uh, January, two thousand thirteen, when Barack Obama signed no less than uh, 23 executive orders to constrain our access to weapons under the Second Amendment in the wake of the Sandy Hook event, which you may or may not know was an elaborately staged deception. We even have the FEMA manual. It was a two-day drill. No children died there. The school had actually been closed in 2008, all of which Obama had to already know uh, there was an effort to tie together mental health and uh, possession or ownership of weapons. Can you expand upon that theme? Does it, the Murphy Bill seem to be the fruition of that agenda? It, uh, it plays on that, although, um, and I'll have to send you the link later, um, Murphy himself puts out a, uh, a summary of the bill or one of his bills in which he admits that there is no correlation between a diagnosis of mental illness and violence. There is no correlation. Sure, there's not even so. correl if there's not even a correlation, there clearly isn't causation, because yeah. although correlation is not sufficient for causation, it's necessary. So why in the mm -hmm. world then are they tying together gun ownership with mental illness? Well, they... they You've, you've read the corporate uh, articles about the, the public shootings, uh, you know, starting with Columbine or maybe even earlier. Uh, and you're, you're going to find in those stories um, that, and, and, and this has been gathered together under a website called uh, SSRIstories.org, uh, in which I think there are up to now 6,000 instances, um, examples of violence, usually homicidal violence, not suicidal violence, just homicidal violence that are directly attributable to psychiatric drugs. Now, most of those drugs are the SSRI drugs, but, but the neuroleptic drugs um, play a part too. You're, you're and, suggesting that the drugs can be the more of a more of a problem than the illness for which they are intended to be the solution. Well, it's it's not just that I'm saying that. Um, I, I I had bought in at one time too, just like um, journalist Robert Whitaker has, who wrote the book Mad in America. Oh, about I don't know six or seven years ago, in which he also assumed that that uh, that as long you know the, the myth that. Stay on your medications, and you know you won't uh, you won't act out violently. Well, um, what happens is um, what what and what he has charted is that the more people are on these drugs, the less likely it is that they will ever get well. Um, there's another um, 
and and uh, I sent you the Ebersol article that has some pie charts on on how people um, in uh, third world countries uh, that don't use psych drugs, their rate of remission is way greater than ours. Um, I think Whitaker says that the the WHO study, the World Health Organization, even did a study in. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's it's been in the last ten or fifteen years in which they uh, they found that that in developing countries the uh, the, uh, the the rates of remission were like sixteen percent, uh, or, or or the rates of relapse were like sixteen percent, and it's like sixty one percent in developed countries like the U.S. that uses pharmaceutical products. Um, there, but but as far as back to the the violence uh, aspects of this, there uh, in 2011 there was a Harvard study done by Moore and Glenn Mullen that has been summarized in the Dr. Gary Cole's article, which I think I sent you a link to. That's that is it, it, it's um, it says something like uh, these drugs are. are Violence-associated drugs, uh, the top 27 violence-producing drugs, most of them, not all of them, but most of them are psychiatric drugs. And they, um, next to each drug, is a, a number that represents the, for example, with Chantix, I think the number is about 19 or 20 next to Chantix. What that means is that if you're on the, the drug Chantix, which is a smoking cessation drug, that your chances of offending violently, and this is all tied to reports to the FDA, are 20 times what they would be if you were on some other drug. 20 uh, times. Then, 20 times. 20 times. Now, yep. then... then, then uh, I, I, I don't have in front of me the next item on the list, but but most of them are the psychotropic drugs. Most of them are, are the SSRI drugs. Abilify um, is a neuroleptic, but the SSRI drugs like Lexapro, Celexa, um, Wellbutrin. Um, is, this, is this a, a giant? Is this a giant bonanza for the big pharma? It is. It, it totally is. Um, the, the statistics on that are that, um, I think this is according to Dr. Marshall Angel, who used to be the editor. She was, for 20 years, the editor of the New England Journal of Medicine. Um, that The combined profits of the um, top 10 pharmaceutical companies exceed the combined profits of the other fortune, the other 490 fortune 500 corporations. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of profit. And, and where are they making that profit? They're making it through Medicaid billing, Medicaid and Medicare billing, but it's not enough. We got to have the Murphy bill. Well, tell me, tell me, tell me what, what is the Murphy bill supposed to accomplish in its bare bones? Well, it's going to change the concept of peer support, which so far is one of the things. 
and and that um, is a, a notion that it, it, it's a practice that has uh, remained unscathed up until now. Um, what it means is one person helping another. One person, I, I know a number of people, and I've had people testifying who do peer support. There's a certification process to it um, where uh, the, the person has um, previously been through the mental illness system and has survived it, and they help another person. It's just an informal, or it can be more formalized, way that one person kind of sponsors another person who is struggling with a mental illness diagnosis, maybe struggling in a, in a psychiatric hospital. And, um, and, and it's effective. It's way more effective than, than you're, traditional. You're, you're talking about a kind of a peer mentoring or peer support relationship that is effective in dealing or helping people with mental illness. Is, is that what you're suggesting? Yeah. Now, how yeah. does this Murphy bill change things? What does it do? Offer drugs as an alternative to a human being? It does that. Um, you, you do hear them talk, the psychiatrist talking about that, you know, they don't really, they don't really do psychotherapy anymore. They just prescribe drugs. They've abandoned psychotherapy, and they certainly don't provide uh, trauma therapy, which is what 80% of their patients would actually need. Um, so they, um, uh, but, but what the Murphy Bill would do is they're going to change the, uh, uh, well, they're going to federalize it. And so they're going to regiment it. And they're going to study it. Uh, and the Comptroller General of the United States shall examine and identify best practices in the states uh, relating to training and credential requirements for peer support specialist programs. So instead of it just being a one-on-one, -on -one, more or less informal peer support system, which has worked quite well for, I don't know, 20 years that, it, that they've tried it, we're going to have it federalized. And then we're going to talk about hours of formal work or volunteer experience related to mental illness, types of peer support specialist examinations, codes of ethics, <laughs> uh, requirements of continuing education. So it's going to be, it's going to be geared toward, toward people um, having to jump through hoops to be certified peer support folks. I know people in Ohio, in particular, Ken Jones, who is a, 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 a very active, a, a former psychiatric patient many, many, many years ago. And, um, and he says what this is going to mean is that we're going to, uh, uh, well, he's not going to jump through those hoops. It's, it's going to mean that, that these folks these peer support people will sure they'll be able to bill Medicare or Medicaid, but they're not going to be doing what peer support used to do. They're, they're going to be required to spout the party line, the drugs, drugs, and more drugs. Catherine, what, what is the strongest connection or link in the bill 
relating ownership of weapons to mental illness? Are they declaring that anybody who is found to be mentally ill can no longer have access to weapons? I am not familiar with that part. I assume that that would be a part of it. Um, but of a, I know that, that, that even currently, state law does plenty in that regard. We don't really need something like this to prohibit that. What really, to stop gun violence by people who are under the influence of psychiatry or psychiatric drugs, we need to watch the drugs, not, um, not so much be concerned about, about gun access. Although, you know, we should be concerned about gun access to anybody who has a history of violence. But someone, for example, who is... And, and this bill would apply to people who are going to private psychiatrists. Uh, if they go to a private psychiatrist for marriage problems or whatever, and they say the wrong thing, and the psychiatrist, you know, decides that they they might be a danger to self or others, then you're going to find yourself on a list somewhere, and 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 possibly not allowed to buy buy a. Uh, firearm under state law now. I mean that that happens already, so we don't really need this. Um, but but certainly this does not. The Murphy Bill does not address the dangers of psychotropic drugs, or or and it what it does is it sponsors the use of force, which That's is something. How does that work? How does it sponsor the use of force? Well, we, we right now have the use of force in every state in the union under state law. So it's going to sponsor that by providing financial federal incentives and including what they're calling AOT, Assisted Outpatient Treatment. Well, what that really means is forced outpatient drugging is what it means. Um, there's nothing assisted about it. Um, they have a, a, AOT exists already in many states. I understand New York has it and Ohio has, has a, a version of it as well. Most states do. And uh, it, it, it's one way to, to hang on to the person and uh, even after they're out of the hospital or never got into a hospital, but with the threat of hospitalization always hanging over their heads. And one of the ways this works and, and has worked, for example, in the John Rohr case that I'm most familiar with, is that, that a person starts out, as he did, a, a, a young guy that had a little bit of a street drug problem. And uh, he wasn't dangerous, um, but he walked into a house where um, he was in a state of confusion, and uh, he got charged with burglary. Not he walked into time. the wrong house because he was under the influence of drugs. He was under the influence of a hallucinogenic street drug, right? And um, no, no allegation of violence or anything, but that got him into the... Ohio's mental illness system. So from there, he gets placed into what essentially is assisted outpatient treatment, a group home, which we've known even before the Murphy bill that is, is just, uh, 
another way of, of incarcerating someone, uh, a, a kinder and gentler way of incarcerating a, an individual. But, dur- but during the group home stay, the person is at least coerced into taking certain drugs, as he was. He was required to take Celexa, Buspar, uh, Wellbutrin, um, Invega, which is a neuroleptic, uh, among others. And he even noticed um, in July of 2009 that, I'm wondering, could these, could something you're giving me, or something you're prescribing for me, cause a person to be violent? I just feel strange. No, basically the response by the prescriber was shut up and sit down, you know, and continue to take your meds. So the next, the next month, um, this is a very violent group home, and most of them are because all these guys are in, in one, one small area, all being given these psychotropic drugs. They're all reacting to them and to each other. So fights are like an everyday thing, a multiple time a day thing. Um, he's, he's attacked, um, time goes by. In any case, he, he strikes another individual in the group home who had been pulling at his pants. And he felt threatened by the guy. He was under the influence of the Celexa. And at that point, then he was done for, he was done for, um, he was um, he was tasered uh, by the police. He was he was uh, put into solitary in the in the jail, and and then months months later he was hospitalized after a hearing in which there was no due process, none, no evidence, not even really a hearing, and that's under state law now. It's going to be more routine. In the future, what's become, be, what's become of, what's become of him? He is still struggling. He's he's one of the few. He's still hospitalized almost seven years later, and um, I'm on the legal team on that, and and we have been fighting this administratively, um, and and the Murphy Bill provides for. Oh yes, we're going to have. We're going to have uh, administrative procedures for if your your rights are violated in the hospital. And we went through that, and, and it's a joke. For one thing, they're required to have an impartial hearing officer. Well, the head of the hospital is the impartial hearing officer. And, and so she was supposed to decide if, if, uh, if, if her hospital committed abuses and, and ethical violations. Yeah. What a surprise. She found that, no, I look at the hospital that I'm the CEO of, and no, we didn't do anything wrong. So, so we went from there to, um, to filing in court and uh, to get rid of the forced drugging. He was under a forced drugging order at that point, also obtained without due process. And uh, finally, in 2014, we got the forced drugging gone. And amidst cries of, oh, he'll decompensate, he'll, he'll, he'll hurt people, he'll do this, he'll do that. Well, his records show that he hasn't done anything of the kind in the two years since. And, you know, he just talks to people, plays his guitar. He's a musician and songwriter and, and writer, and he's trying to mind his own business and get out. 
There's another hearing coming up for him August 9th, and we're looking for court watch people who may be interested the in seeing of, what the ninth of, the ninth of August? The, uh, the 9th of August, Ross County, Ohio, Chillicothe, Ohio, Ross County Courthouse. So it's, It sounds as though uh, the system just hasn't been able to respond to ordinary problems. I mean, this guy was high on street drugs. I mean, that, that's as commonplace as it gets. By mistake, he entered someone else's home. Well, that's not, ten a, years ago. not a serious offense. And yet 10 years of his life have now been consumed for that triviality. Yeah, yeah. That's quite outrageous. Well, and when, well, you, when, you, when you consider the amount of taxpayer money and time and effort that goes into incarcerating someone like this, in a, in a home that's supposed to benefit them, but is in fact merely perpetrating them in a state where they are unable to enjoy the freedoms to which they would be otherwise entitled. That, that's a grotesque, lose-lose situation, it seems to me, Catherine. Oh, it is. It is. Um, it, it, it gets worse for the taxpayer. Uh, I know that in Ohio, I looked up what is the average cost per day per uh, hospitalized psychiatric patient, and it's like $2,400 a day. I don't know whether that includes the drugs. Per day, per patient. So, you know, this is one facility. The facility... John Rohr is at is um, like a 77 bed facility. So multiply that times so 77 this is, times. This has become a huge industry making a lot of money for those who run the shop. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do they have any criteria of success? Are they ever evaluated as to whether they're making a difference that improves society? I mean, it sounds like it's a giant ripoff. Right, right. It, the, well, they claim that they don't need to show success because they're dealing with an incurable disease, even though there's no hard science that establishes that this is, well, first of all, there's no objective diagnostic criteria. And this has been admitted under oath by, by psychologists in the system. There's no neuroimaging, there's no blood tests, there's no any of that. But I'm, I'm getting away from your question, which was... Um, How do we I'm know sorry, whether they're succeeding or failing? Succeeding they're or failing, failing they're at what failing. they're supposed to be doing? Is it even very clear what they're supposed to be doing? It is not clear what they're supposed to be doing because they are unapologetic about not getting good results. And they're unapologetic about that because they say, well... It's an incurable disease we're dealing with, so don't expect us to, to cure anything. It's, not, a, it's not, not only uncurable, it doesn't even properly qualify as a disease. It's a transient state because of the ingestion of, in this instance, street drugs. I mean, from which one ordinarily would rapidly recover. I mean, this is a perversion of mm -hmm. language. It is. It is a perversion of language, and, and, and that's one of the big problems you have in even defining mental illness legally among the different states. Each of the different states has their, their own little definition. Um, there's some similarities, but, but, but it's they, all you're telling me They aren't even guided by the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of the American Psychological Association? 
They are, but there are problems with the DSM too. DSM also, there's in the DSM one, two, three, four, now five. And uh, as you probably are aware, um, the, uh, the National Institute of Mental Health actually said, uh, two of its prior uh, directors said that this is, that these are invalid criteria. These are invalid diagnostic categories. Who, who it's an insurance billing manual. Who are doing the diagnoses of these various cases and the cases in the first place to assign them to a facility or to a regimen of treatment? Who's responsible for that? Ultimately, the responsibility lies with the courts, and the courts are supposed to be guided only by the legal definition of mental illness, which is being, which is vague. And and it says something along the lines of, in Ohio, for example, that a person must have a a gross, uh, a a substantial disorder of mood, affect, judgment, and some other stuff, Um, and, uh, and it must grossly interfere with their functioning, and they must be a danger to self or others. No, but that doesn't so, fit this kid at all that we were describing, who wandered into the wrong home because he was under the influence. I mean, that could have just been someone who drank too many beers for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, later he did strike someone. Yeah, so but what to... does that mean? When they were harassing him in a way that could be interpreted as a predatory sexual advance. Right, right. Um do, yeah, do, they, do these people have any advocates? Do they have any legal representation? I mean, is a? It sounds like they're just completely at the disposal of these of these organizations that are serving a custodial function. They pretty much are. Uh, most people. Uh, the only thing unusual about the John Roar case is that he's got a legal team. I don't run into anybody who's got a legal team in these cases now. It times there, um, and I know Jim Gottstein of the Law Project for Psychiatric Rights has done selected uh, representations of individuals in Alaska to stop forced drugging there, to, uh, to, to and, and he has freed some people. But this is very labor-intensive stuff. For the most part, most people who are in these psych facilities are getting court-appointed counsel, and you get court-appointed counsel who are not trained even in mental health law. They're, they're public defenders, usually, which is what John got the first few times. Uh, and, and they're not... They think that, that their job is to agree with the state's attorney. Yeah, well, yeah, he, he needs help, and this is the... Um, the the um, beneficial thing to do for the client is just to roll over and let him be locked up. He'll get treatment. The psychiatrist knows best. And so they don't put up a defense. They don't, they don't listen to what the client says. Catherine, they don't look do at the ha- record. Do you have more that you would like to present right now? Because I've had an idea of sending our interview to uh, someone of my acquaintance who's a psychiatrist of uh, prominent standing and ask him to take a look at what you presented and offer opinions. He's also involved with uh, law enforcement. He's a former top shrink for the 
FBI rapid response team. I think it would be valuable to have his commentary on the situation you're describing in terms mm -hmm. of what might possibly be done to find a reasonable solution and why the Murphy bill doesn't appear to provide it. No, it doesn't. It's providing a solution only for the shareholders of, of the big pharma corporations that manufacture these drugs. And, and, and the folks, it's providing jobs. It's, it is providing jobs to the psych hospital well, workers. Well, yeah, but that's ridiculous. These are jobs that are parasitic on society. These are jobs that are costing society huge quantities of money with no obvious benefits. That's right. That's right. Lauren Tenney used to comment that, that some people have to be enslaved so that others will have jobs because being a mental patient actually becomes a full-time job, being a professional mental patient. You can't work if you're out in the community in AOT. You, you have to go to your therapist appointment. You have to go to... Uh, you know, a group meeting, you have to go to AA or NA or this or that. And, and you have to drop everything. You, you can't, you can't work. Yeah, plus, even if you could, the drugs are going to disable you from being able to, for example, operate he um, heavy equipment, machinery that you probably shouldn't be taking psychotropic drugs if you're operating. And so how many of the employers out there are going to know what their uh, prospective employees are taking when they assign them to operate equipment or, or do anything else responsible? And they're drugged? The employee's drugged? Yeah, you don't know. You. you don't know what that behavior is going to be, that drug behavior. Did, did I understand correctly you're part of the legal team for this particular case? Yes, what, what is your role or capacity as a part of the legal team? I'm, I'm, I'm writing the briefs and, and, and preparing uh, strategies and, and uh, 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 preparing uh, pleadings. And, uh, so, so your background is in the law? Uh, yeah, I practiced law for 30-some years in Ohio. Oh, wow. and Oklahoma. Where, did, where did you do that? Uh, in Chillicothe, Ohio. And in uh, Muskogee, Oklahoma. What what types of what fifteen type, years each? What type of law did you practice? I did mostly domestic relations, divorce, and 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 then I um I, I got into some other stuff. I, I did some um, criminal law. I never did do this area of law. I I, I learned from scratch uh, in two thousand thirteen, which was probably a better way to learn what was going on in mental health law. And uh, I, I was really, I was shocked. It sounds to me as though there are very few who know very much about this area of the law. There are very, very few, very few, which I found out when we then solicited um, a law project for psychiatric rights and the International Society for Ethical Psychology and Psychiatry, both of whom submitted amicus curiae briefs in John's case, but it wasn't enough. Not, that's, not very, this. that's very strange. What was the court just uh, deaf uh, uh, to what was being presented? 
it it seemed that way. When we do appreciate that he that the court did stop the forced drugging in 2014, and we hope the court will do the right thing August 9th and just free him since the records are full of nothing but. John is asymptomatic. He ha- he conducts logical, coherent, intelligent conversations all the time. This is you know day in day out for the last two years. Catherine, this is and, very very troubling. And that it takes a legal team to get a person out of a situation they shouldn't have been in in the first place is a, a bit dumbfounding. Well, well, we've done more than just defend him in this case. We've taken the, the aggressive route, too, and we have filed um, malpractice cases against the offending psychiatrists and psychologists for the medical harm that was done to John by the forced drugging. And uh, so far, that just uh, going through that, um, we have still a pending matter in the Ohio Court of Claims with that. But um, basically, we're, we're finding that we're, we're, we're losing on technicalities. We, we submit these, these complaints and that full of factual allegations that are never refuted, never refuted on their merits. It's always... Um, you're in the wrong court, you said it the wrong way, you, you know, you're this, you're that, but nothing on the merits. And so we keep losing and having to appeal this, on procedural technicality. This all sounds unbelievably sloppy and unprofessional. It sounds as though the, really the, the mechanisms for dealing with these cases are not well-defined. And therefore, the the judges and the courts are just being slovenly about their response to the very legitimate concerns of the clients and their representatives. They they are slovenly. That's that's true. Yeah. Catherine, um, I'm just appalled by what you're reporting here. How how does the Murphy bill help or? Or, 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 or render worse the situation we're in because already it's a morass, it's a swamp, it's a, an undefined no-man's land where anyone, it would appear, could be victimized with, for an indeterminate sentence for having committed no serious offense whatsoever. And it, it's not just people who, who may have been uh, accused of a crime. It, it could be anyone off the street. I did an article with the Columbus Free Press about a woman by the name of Linda Leisure uh, in her 70s. Uh, no psychiatric history at all. None. Her, her big offense seemed to be that she was a well-known whistleblower in Columbus, Ohio. She had, she had, um, she was a, a prison uh, activist Uh, She had a prison ministry, and she also had had investigated uh, a number of um, incidents of misconduct by the police department in in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. Uh, The the police department then brought uh, brought to her door a, a woman claiming to be a social worker who diagnosed Linda through the door, through her front door, Oh, I think you're delusional. Okay, so now that gives cause for the the police officers to break Linda's door down, which they proceeded to do of her home. They broke down her door and they dragged her off to a private psychiatric facility. 
and where she was finally able to get out after about 17 days with some legal help. But um, she was told, and she kept asking, uh, when am I going to get out? It depends on how much you cooperate. This is a person with no psychiatric history. Perfectly lucid person. And just by the skin of her teeth did she manage to get out at all. And, and, and they told her, if you don't agree to take these drugs, we will not look favorably upon your cooperation. So she took the drugs. She says, I don't take drugs. I don't want to do this. Well, you better think about that. So she did, and she submitted. So, I'm just, and she's, I'm, just, I'm just, I find all this profoundly depressing. And the, and the idea the United States has sunk into this state of incapacity to deal with problems or fabrication of problems that aren't real. This is all profoundly troubling, Catherine, but it must cause you to have many sleepless nights. Yes, yes, it, it is. Um, and, and, and what what's just enraging is the attitude that the United States presents uh, to the international community as we've seen. Um, I, I sent you a link to a, a clip from the March 14, 2014 um, UN um, International Convention on Civil and Political Rights. Um, it's a convention or a <coughs> or a, a treaty, basically, that the United States has signed on to <laughs> with a lot of reservations, of course, lots and lots of reservations, about three or four hundred of them, to be specific. Uh, a Ms. Majdina was questioning the representative from the U.S. delegation, Dr. Wanda K. Jones, about the U.S.'s own dismal record in uh, the international community as far as forced psychiatry and forced treatment, forced drugging. <coughs> in fact, forced drugging is even a crime under federal law in the United States. And I can read you the statute on that if you give me a second. Forced drugging but, is itself a crime. So you have courts directing that crimes be committed in essence. Is that the way it adds up? Well, I will read to you from that, uh, that statute. It is um, 18 United States Code, Section 2340, um, the definition of torture. Torture, subsection 1. Torture means an act committed by a person acting under the color of law, specifically intended to inflict severe physical or mental pain or suffering other than pain or suffering incidental to lawful sanctions upon another person within his custody or physical control. And then they define what is severe mental pain or suffering. It means prolonged mental harm caused by or resulting from A, the, the intentional infliction or threatened infliction of severe physical pain or suffering. B, here we go, B, the administration or application or threatened administration or application of mind-altering substances or other procedures calculated to disrupt profoundly the senses or the personality. 
stop right there. <coughs> That's exactly what they're doing. The drugs are are designed specifically, they are specifically calculated to disrupt profoundly the senses or the personality. That's what they're for. Psychiatry is prescribing um, these, these drugs because they don't like the personality that the person has to begin with, so it's necessary to disrupt the personality with drugs. And sometimes they use electroshock too, which, you know, is making a big comeback, but that's another story. So well, it's all terribly, terribly troubling. I'm very, very upset with all of this. Um, yes. But see, nobody gets prosecuted. I don't think I've heard of anybody ever being prosecuted under that federal statute. They don't fund it. Catherine, what, they, can, what can be done? And, and how is the Murphy Bill going to impact all of this? It's it's just one piece of the puzzle. I mean, to to, to be honest, it, it it it's it's gonna it's gonna ramp things up worse than they already are. It's going to provide more federal financial incentives to the states to to get them to enact AOT, uh, assisted outpatient treatment, which is really forced outpatient drugging. Um, in just the way the feds want it done uh, in order to get the grants. I mean, that's, that's you know, in, in a lot of areas of law, we're seeing that, that state, state sovereignty and, and state procedures are, are getting perverted because of the, the quest for those federal dollars. But those federal dollars, of course, come with strings attached. And, the, and we don't know exactly what those strings are going to be but we, we got a, a pretty good guess based on, well, what's already happened. Um, it's interesting that um, I, um, uh, there, there is a medic, every state has the Medicare and Medicaid fraud and patient abuse and neglect unit in the states. It's, I, I forget what the, what the term stands for, an M, M, MFCU. Medicaid fraud and something uh, unit. Well, the problem is that that even when there's credible claims of abuse and neglect in the state system, um, and this is a federally funded program, the the feds don't seem worried about it. They they, they just they're kind of lackadaisical about it. And, and I kind of check that out myself because I noticed that under Ohio law, for example. The um, the uh, agency in Ohio that is charged with investigating patient abuse and Medicaid fraud, and of course it would be Medicaid fraud to to medicate a person who doesn't need the medication. Uh, but uh, the agency responsible for that is the Ohio Attorney General's office. It may be similar in other states. So. Uh, the problem is the Ohio Attorney General's office is also charged by statute with defending hospitals. So how can they defend a hospital at the same time they're investigating the hospital for patient abuse, neglect, and Medicaid fraud? They can't. So it, which we tried in John Rohr's case. They said, no, we, we have a conflict of interest. We can't investigate this. 
Okay, you can't. Well, I um, uh, and I think I, I sent you a link to, or I have one up here, which is, I'll just give you the title of it. It's um, it's an article about um, how the it's it's a copy of a letter that was sent by a Medicaid, a federal official, to the uh, director of Ohio's um, Medicaid board, saying we have credible evidence of fraud and and that you're not investigating. So, um, I uh, I followed up on that letter and I I spoke with an auditor, a federal auditor with the Ohio Inspector General, a Sherry Fulcher with the OIG, Office of the Inspector General, Federal Office of Audit Services, uh, in connection with Ohio's documented failures to comply with the requirements of the Affordable Care Act. Um, and uh, I, then I ended up speaking with a Donald White, and he asked me to to put this in into a letter to him. So I did, um, in um, in uh, early 2016, uh, February 12, 2016. Never got a response at all. Basically, what is happening is, for example, in Ohio, there. Um, the Ohio Supreme Court has been engaged in a long-time alliance not only with the, uh, the Ohio Mental Health and Addiction Services system, but also <coughs> they have placed in a prominent position one Dr. Cardwell C. Knuckles, who is a convicted Medicaid, Medicare kickback perpetrator. U.S. versus Knuckles, case number 1, colon 01, CR 00525, Northern District, Eastern Division of Ohio, 2001. He's a convicted offender. So his role, he's, his role with the Ohio Supreme Court, and I think it's ongoing, is to said, according to the, the legal news in Ohio, said to be to instruct Ohio judges about the, and this is a direct quote, the new standard for diagnosing individuals with psychiatric disorders. Okay, so that's um, that's pretty disturbing, particularly uh, in light of Governor John Kasich's um, also having his own history of of doing anything and everything he possibly can to bring in federal dollars, free federal dollars even though the Ohio legislature voted to refuse uh, to refuse $2.5 billion in, uh, in Medicaid expansion money. Ohio legislature voted on it, but the Ohio Supreme Court and Governor John Kasich did an end run around that in an unprecedented usurpation of the legislative role. Um, he... Uh, he lobbied his own hand-picked controlling board the day the, the board voted, and uh, they voted to accept the very funds that the General Assembly had voted not to accept. An unelected board of bureaucrats went against 
the people's representatives in the Ohio legislature. So, yeah, we've got a lot of problems. We've well, got a lot of problems. I'm very glad you brought these to our attention, Catherine. Is there anything the average citizen can do to make a contribution to the resolution of these problems? Well, it's, it's going to the Senate now. So I, I urge people to, to contact their senator, even though we know the senators typically, just like our representatives, are not responsive to the will of the people. There was a study done at Princeton that kind of revealed that um, not too long ago. But... That we live in a plutocracy, not a democracy. That's the rule of the rich. We have a government of, by, and for the rich. Yes, that was a powerful indictment of contemporary, what passes for contemporary democracy in the United States of America. I'm afraid that's true. That's true. We have, uh, we have been advocating against the Murphy bills at WLJA Radio for some time. I do a broadcast every Tuesday um, called Bedlam in America. And, and uh, we, it's, it's frankly, you know, an anti-psychiatry broadcast. And, and uh, we have a link on that, on our show page for Bedlam in America on WLJA Radio. Yeah, tell, where, it, tell, it, tell everyone where they can find more about your work and efforts, Catherine. I'm, 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 I'm sure many would like to follow up. Yes, yes. Um, I, I do a broadcast uh, every Tuesday um, on WLJARadio.net. It's an internet uh, radio station. It, it, you can remember the call letters. It stands for With Liberty and Justice for All. Um, kind of Pollyanna-ish, but, you know, we still believe in it. And um, So we can reach it through the internet? Yes, yes, yeah. Just go, just go on to www.wljaradio.net, and uh, you'll you'll see our our website, and then we've got audio interviews. It's basically a podcast, and um, we've we archive our interviews soon after we do them. Yeah, and, yeah, and then yeah. on Thursdays, I do a, um, a broadcast called "Who Judges the Judges?" about what is going on in our judiciary with the fact that we really don't have judicial accountability. And do you have a, a web page devoted to these issues? Yes, yes, yes. That's that's the website is um, what I just gave you, the, the, the WLJ. Same, the same, the same. Yes. yes. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so. Well, Catherine yeah. Hyde, I, I can't thank you enough for sh sharing all of this with us. I'm afraid many are going to be scratching their heads, wondering what in the world has become of our courts and our judicial system and the, what we, we count on the medical community to provide, you know, nurturing assistance to those in need. It sounds as though all of this is a tragic failure in the cases you have been describing. I urge people also to look at the, at the affidavit of Robert Whitaker, um, on, uh, which is available online. Just Google Robert Whitaker um, affidavit psychiatry, and you'll you'll get it. It's a 13-page affidavit. It summarizes his book, A Mad in America, and 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 takes you from where he was, and a lot of us still are thinking that these folks are doing doing the Lord's work, 
and that, that the drugs are, are, you know, a necessary evil to, to, uh, to where he uh, concludes after a lot of thorough research that this, this is an abomination. And this Catherine, is an abomination. I know you have, you have quite a few uh, documents substantiating your, your reports uh, that reflect on research in these areas, including some from uh, uh, Phil Ebersole's blog, uh, are there a few you would recommend as of special importance? Yes, he, he's got uh, a, a couple of uh, really good uh, uh, charts, which, you know, really makes it more visual. Um, they, um, that, that shows, um, if I can find it, um, the... Uh, I'm looking at America's real drug epidemic and so forth. America's real drug epidemic. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to make it come up, but it's not coming up on my computer right now. Um, yes. But yeah, he, he and, and and what's really unforgivable is is these drug companies are now reaching into the market of drugging children from zero to whenever. Can yeah. you believe it? Newborns. Newborns. Yeah, that's that's just that's just god awful. Catherine, I can't thank you enough for being here. This is Jim Fetzer, your host on the Real Deal, thanking my special guest Catherine Hine for being here, and all of you for watching.